Book Three, Chapter Two of The Wings of the Dove. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wings of the Dove by Henry James. Book Three, Chapter Two. The girl said nothing when they met about the words scrawled on the Tauchnitz, and Mrs. Stringham then noticed that she hadn't the book with her. She had left it lying, and probably would never remember it at all. Her comrade's decision was therefore quickly made not to speak of having followed her, and within five minutes of her return, wonderfully enough, the preoccupation denoted by her forgetfulness further declared itself. "'Should you think me quite abominable if I were to say that, after all—' Mrs. Stringham had already thought, with the first sound of the question, everything she was capable of thinking, and had immediately made such a sign that Milly's words gave place to visible relief at her assent. "'You don't care for our stop here? You'd rather go straight on? We'll start, then, with the peep of to-morrow's dawn, or as early as you like.' It's only rather late now to take the road again. And she smiled, to show how she meant it for a joke, that an instant onward rush was what the girl would have wished. I bullied you into stopping, she added, so it serves me right. Milly made in general the most of her good friend's jokes, but she humoured this one a little absently. Oh yes, you, you do bully me and it was thus arranged between them, with no discussion at all, that they would resume their journey in the morning. The younger tourist's interest in the detail of the matter, in spite of a declaration from the elder that she would consent to be dragged anywhere, appeared almost immediately afterwards quite to lose itself. She promised, however, to think till supper of where, with the world all before them, they might go supper having been ordered for such time as permitted of lighted candles. It had been agreed between them that lighted candles at wayside inns, in strange countries, amid mountain scenery, gave the evening meal a peculiar poetry, such being the mild adventures, the refinements of impression, that they, as they would have said, went in for. It was now as if, before this repast, Milly had designed to lie down, but at the end of three minutes more she wasn't lying down. She was saying instead, abruptly, with a transition that was like a jump of four thousand miles, What was it that in New York, on the ninth, when you saw him alone, Dr. Finch said to you? It was not till later that Mrs. Stringham fully knew why the question had startled her still more than its suddenness explained, though the effect of it, even at the moment, was almost to frighten her into a false answer. She had to think, to remember the occasion, the ninth in New York, the time she had seen Dr. Finch alone, and to recall the words he had then uttered, and when everything had come back, it was quite, at first, for a moment, as if he had said something that immensely mattered. He hadn't, however, in fact. It was only as if he might perhaps, after all, have been going to. It was on the 6th, within ten days of their sailing, that she had hurried from Boston under the alarm, a small but a sufficient shock, of hearing that Mildred had suddenly been taken ill, had had from some obscure cause such an upset as threatened to stay their journey. 
The bearing of the accident had happily soon presented itself as slight, and there had been, in the event, but a few hours of anxiety. The journey had been pronounced again not only possible, but as representing change highly advisable. And if the zealous guest had had five minutes by herself with the doctor, this was clearly no more at his instance than at her own. Almost nothing had passed between them but an easy exchange of enthusiasms in respect to the remedial properties of Europe, and due assurance, as the facts came back to her, she was now able to give. "'Nothing whatever, on my word of honour, that you mayn't know or mightn't then have known. I've no secret with him about you. What makes you suspect it? I don't quite make out how you know I did see him alone.' "'No, you never told me,' said Milly. "'And I don't mean,' she went on, "'during the twenty-four hours while I was bad, "'when your putting your heads together was natural enough. "'I mean, after I was better, "'the last thing before you went home.' "'Mrs. Stringham continued to wonder. "'Who told you I saw him then?' "'He didn't himself, "'nor did you write me it afterwards. "'We speak of it now for the first time. "'That's exactly why,' Milly declared, with something in her face and voice that, the next moment, betrayed for her companion that she had really known nothing, had only conjectured, and, chancing her charge, made a hit. Yet why had her mind been busy with the question? But if you're not, as you now assure me, in his confidence, she smiled, it's no matter. I'm not in his confidence. He had nothing to confide. But are you feeling unwell? The elder woman was earnest for the truth, though the possibility she named was not at all the one that seemed to fit, witness the long climb Milly had just indulged in. The girl showed her constant white face, but this her friends had all learnt to discount, and it was often brightest when superficially not bravest. She continued for a little mysteriously to smile. "'I don't know, haven't really the least idea.' but it might be well to find out. Mrs. Stringham at this flared into sympathy. Are you in trouble, in pain? Not the least little bit, but I sometimes wonder. Yes, she pressed, wonder what? Well, if I shall have much of it. Mrs. Stringham stared. Much of what? Not of pain. Of everything, of everything I have. Anxiously again, tenderly, our friend cast about. You have everything, so that when you say much of it... I only mean, the girl broke in, shall I have it for long, that is, if I have got it. She had at present the effect, a little, of confounding, or at least of perplexing, her comrade, who was touched, who was always touched, by something helpless in her grace, and abrupt in her turns, and yet actually half made out in her a sort of mocking light. If you've got an ailment. If I've got everything, Milly laughed. Ah, that, like almost nobody else. Then for how long? Mrs. Stringham's eyes entreated her. She had gone close to her, half enclosed her with urgent arms. Do you want to see someone? And then, as the girl only met it with a slow headshake, though looking perhaps a shade more conscious, will go straight to the best near doctor. This too, however, produced but a gaze of qualified assent, and a silence sweet and vague that left everything open. 
our friend decidedly lost herself. Tell me, for God's sake, if you're in distress. I don't think I've really everything, Milly said, as if to explain, and as if also to put it pleasantly. But what on earth can I do for you? The girl debated, then seemed on the point of being able to say, but suddenly changed, and expressed herself otherwise. Dear, dear thing, I'm only too happy. It brought them closer, but it rather confirmed Mrs. Stringham's doubt. Then what's the matter? That's the matter, that I can scarcely bear it. But what is it you think you haven't got? Milly waited another moment, then she found it, and found for it a dim show of joy. The power to resist the bliss of what I have. Mrs. Stringham took it in, her sense of being put off with it, the possible, probable irony of it, and her tenderness renewed itself in the positive grimness of a long murmur. Whom will you see? For it was as if they looked down from their height at a continent of doctors. Where will you first go? Milly had for the third time her air of consideration, but she came back with it to her plea of some minutes before. I'll tell you at supper. Good-bye till then and she left the room with a lightness that testified for her companion to something that again particularly pleased her in the renewed promise of motion. The odd passage just concluded, Mrs. Stringham mused, as she once more sat alone with a hooked needle and a ball of silk, the fine work with which she was always provided. This mystifying mood had simply been precipitated, no doubt, by their prolonged halt, with which the girl hadn't really been in sympathy. One had only to admit that her complaint was in fact but the excess of the joy of life, and everything did then fit. She couldn't stop for the joy, but she could go on for it, and with the pulse of her going on she floated again, was restored to her great spaces. There was no evasion of any truth, so at least Susan Shepherd hoped, in one sitting there while the twilight deepened, and feeling still more finely that the position of this young lady was magnificent. The evening at that height had naturally turned to cold, and the travellers had bespoken a fire with their meal. The great alpine road asserted its brave presence through the small panes of the low, clean windows, with incidents at the inn door, the yellow diligence, the great wagons, the hurrying, hooded private conveyances, reminders, for our fanciful friend, of old stories, old pictures, historic flights, escapes, pursuits, things that had happened, things indeed that by a sort of strange congruity helped her to read the meanings of the greatest interest into the relation in which she was now so deeply involved. It was natural that this record of the magnificence of her companion's position should strike her as after all the best meaning she could extract, for she herself was seated in the magnificence as in a court carriage. She came back to that, and such a method of progression, such a view from crimson cushions, would evidently have a great deal more to give. By the time the candles were lighted for supper, and the short white curtains drawn, Milly had reappeared, and the little scenic room had then all its romance. That charm, moreover, was far from broken by
by the words in which she, without further loss of time, satisfied her patient mate. I want to go straight to London. It was unexpected, corresponding with no view positively taken at their departure, when England had appeared, on the contrary, rather relegated and postponed, seen for the moment, as who should say, at the end of an avenue of preparations and introductions. London, in short, might have been supposed to be the crown, and to be achieved, like a siege, by gradual approaches. Milly's actual fine stride was therefore the more exciting, as any simplification almost always was to Mrs. Stringham, who, besides, was afterwards to recall as a piece of that very exposition, dear to the dramatist, the terms in which, between their smoky candles, the girl had put her preference, and in which still other things had come up, come while the clank of wagon-chains in the sharp air reached their ears, with the stamp of hoofs, the rattle of buckets, and the foreign questions, foreign answers, that were all alike a part of the cheery converse of the road. The girl brought it out in truth, as she might have brought a huge confession, something she admitted herself shy about, and that would seem to show her as frivolous. It had rolled over her that what she wanted of Europe was people, so far as they were to be had, and that, if her friend really wished to know, the vision of this same equivocal quantity was what had haunted her during their previous days, in museums and churches, and what was again spoiling for her the pure taste of scenery. She was all for scenery, yes, but she wanted it human and personal, and all she could say was that there would be in London, wouldn't there, more of that kind than anywhere else. She came back to her idea that if it wasn't for long, if nothing should happen to be so for her, why the particular thing she spoke of would probably have most to give her in the time, would probably be less than anything else a waste of her remainder. She produced this last consideration, indeed, with such gaiety, that Mrs. Stringham was not again disconcerted by it, was in fact quite ready, if talk of early dying was in order, to match it from her own future. Good, then, they would eat and drink because of what might happen to-morrow, and they would direct their course from that moment with a view to such eating and drinking. They ate and drank that night, in truth, as in the spirit of this decision, whereby the air, before they separated, felt itself the clearer. It had cleared, perhaps, to a view only too extensive, extensive, that is, in proportion to the signs of life presented. The idea of people was not so entertained on Milly's part as to connect itself with particular persons, and the fact remained for each of the ladies that they would, completely unknown, disembark at Dover amid the completely unknowing. They had no relation already formed. This plea Mrs. Stringham put forward to see what it would produce. It produced nothing at first, but the observation on the girl's side, that what she had in mind was no thought of society, nor of scraping acquaintance. Nothing was further from her than to desire the opportunities represented for the compatriot in general, by a trunkful of letters. It wasn't a question, in short, of the people the compatriot was after. It was the human, the English picture itself, as they might see it in their own way 
the concrete world inferred so fondly from what one had read and dreamt. Mrs. Stringham did every justice to this concrete world, but when later on an occasion chanced to present itself, she made a point of not omitting to remark that it might be a comfort to know in advance one or two of the human particles of its concretion. This still, however, failed, in vulgar parlance, to fetch Milly, so that she had presently to go all the way. Haven't I understood from you, for that matter, that you gave Mr. Densher something of a promise? There was a moment on this when Milly's look had to be taken as representing one of two things, either that she was completely vague about the promise, or that Mr. Densher's name itself started no train but she really couldn't be so vague about the promise the partner of these hours quickly saw without attaching it to something it had to be a promise to somebody in particular to be so repudiated in the event accordingly she acknowledged mr merton densher the so unusually bright young englishman who had made his appearance in new york on some special literary business wasn't it shortly before their departure and who had been three or four times in her house during the brief period between her visit to Boston and her companion's subsequent stay with her. But she required much reminding before it came back to her that she had mentioned to this companion just afterwards the confidence expressed by the personage in question in her never doing so dire a thing as to come to London without, as the phrase was, looking a fellow up. She had left him the enjoyment of his confidence, the form of which might have appeared a trifle free. This she now reasserted. She had done nothing either to impair or to enhance it, but she had also left Mrs. Stringham, in the connection and at the time, rather sorry to have missed Mr. Densher. She had thought of him again after that, the elder woman. She had likewise gone so far as to notice that Milly appeared not to have done so, which the girl might easily have betrayed and interested as she was in everything that concerned her she had made out for herself for herself only and rather idly that but for interruptions the young englishman might have become a better acquaintance his being an acquaintance at all was one of the signs that in the first days had helped to place milly as a young person with the world before her for sympathy and wonder isolated unmothered unguarded but with her other strong marks her big house her big fortune her big freedom she had lately begun to receive for all her few years as an older woman might have done as was done precisely by princesses who had public considerations to observe and who came of age very early if it was thus distinct to Mrs. Stringham then, that Mr. Densher had gone off somewhere else in connection with his errand before her visit to New York, it had been also not undiscoverable that he had come back for a day or two later on, that is, after her own second excursion, that he had, in fine, reappeared on a single occasion on his way to the West, his way from Washington, as she believed, though he was out of sight at the time of her joining her friend for their departure. It hadn't occurred to her before to exaggerate, it had not occurred to her that she could, but she seemed to become aware to-night that there had been just enough in this relation to meet, to provoke, the free conception of a little more. 
she presently put it that at any rate promise or no promise milly would at a pinch be able in london to act on his permission to make him a sign to which milly replied with readiness that her ability though evident would be none the less quite wasted inasmuch as the gentleman would to a certainty be still in america he had a great deal to do there which he would scarce have begun and in fact she might very well not have thought of london at all if she hadn't been sure he wasn't yet near coming back it was perceptible to her companion that the moment our young woman had so far committed herself she had a sense of having overstepped which was not quite patched up by her saying the next minute possibly with a certain failure of presence of mind that the last thing she desired was the air of running after him mrs stringham wondered privately what question there could be of any such appearance the danger of which thus suddenly came up but she said for the time nothing of it she only said other things one of which was for instance that if mr densher was away he was away and this the end of it also that of course they must be discreet at any price but what was the measure of discretion and how was one to be sure so it was that as they sat there she produced her own case she had a possible tie with london which she desired as little to disown as she might wish to risk presuming on it she treated her companion in short for their evening's end to the story of maud manningham the odd but interesting english girl who had formed her special affinity in the old days at the vevey school whom she had written to after their separation with a regularity that had at first faltered and then altogether failed yet that had been for the first time quite a fine case of crude constancy so that it had in fact flickered up again of itself on the occasion of the marriage of each they had then once more fondly scrupulously written mrs lowder first and even another letter or two had afterwards passed this however had been the end though with no rupture only a gentle drop maud manningham had made she believed a great marriage while she herself had made a small on top of which moreover distance difference diminished community and impossible reunion had done the rest of the work it was but after all these years that reunion had begun to show as possible if the other party to it that is should be still in existence that was exactly what it now appeared to our friend interesting to ascertain as with one aid and another she believed she might it was an experiment she would at all events now make if milly didn't object milly in general objected to nothing and though she asked a question or two she raised no present plea her questions or at least her own answers to them kindled on mrs stringham's part a backward train she hadn't known till to-night how much she remembered or how fine it might be to see what had become of large high-coloured maud florid alien exotic which had been just the spell even to the perceptions of youth there was the danger she frankly touched it that such a temperament mightn't have matured with the years all in the sense of fineness it was the sort of danger that in renewing relations after long breaks one had always to look in the face to gather in strayed threads was to take a risk 
for which, however, she was prepared if Milly was. The possible fun, she confessed, was by itself rather tempting, and she fairly sounded, with this, wound up a little as she was, the note of fun as the harmless final right of fifty years of mere New England virtue. Among the things she was afterwards to recall was the indescribable look dropped on her at that by her companion. She was still seated there between the candles and before the finished supper, while Milly moved about, and the look was long to figure for her as an inscrutable comment on her notion of freedom. Challenged at any rate, as for the last wise word, Milly showed perhaps, musingly, charmingly, that though her attention had been mainly soundless, her friend's story, produced as a resource unsuspected, a card from up the sleeve, half surprised, half beguiled her. Since the matter, such as it was, depended on that, she brought out, before she went to bed, an easy, a light, risk everything. This quality seemed possibly a little to deny weight to Maud Lowder's evoked presence, as Susan Stringham, still sitting up, became, in excited reflection, a trifle more conscious. Something determinant when the girl had left her took place in her, nameless but, as soon as she had given way, coercive. It was as if she knew again, in this fullness of time, that she had been, after Maud's marriage, just sensibly outlived, or, as people nowadays said, shunted. Mrs. Lowder had left her behind, and on the occasion, subsequently, of the corresponding date in her own life, not the second, the sad one, with its dignity of sadness, but the first, with the meagreness of its supposed felicity, she had been, in the same spirit, almost patronisingly pitied. If that suspicion, even when it had ceased to matter, had never quite died out for her, there was doubtless some oddity in its now offering itself as a link, rather than as another break, in the chain. And indeed there might well have been for her a mood in which the notion of the development of patronage in her quondam schoolmate would have settled her question in another sense. It was actually settled, if the case be worth our analysis, by the happy consummation, the poetic justice, the generous revenge, of her having at last something to show. Maud, on their parting company, had appeared to have so much, and would now, for wasn't it also in general quite the rich law of English life, have, with accretions, promotions, expansions, ever so much more. Very good, such things might be she rose to the sense of being ready for them. Whatever Mrs. Lowder might have to show, and one hoped one did the presumptions all justice, she would have nothing like Milly Thiel, who constituted the trophy producible by poor Susan. Poor Susan lingered late, till the candles were low, and as soon as the table was cleared she opened her neat portfolio. She hadn't lost the old clue. There were connections she remembered, addresses she could try. So the thing was to begin. She wrote on the spot. End of Book 3 Chapter 2